slip it in. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Big Players Only Podcast, a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network. Make sure to check us and other amazing content creators out at listenfrederick.com. We got a great episode for you today. We'll be talking all things that happened this past week at the Masters and the carnage that was Augusta with these crazy wins. What a win for Scotty Scheffler, a really talented field chasing him down. We'll get more thoughts on what happened this past week. Then this week coming up, we got the RBC Heritage in Hilton Head, South Carolina, a really great venue, a really cool course, and actually a really talented field. Usually you don't see that at the first week after a major. So we'll give you our talking points. We'll make our picks. Thanks for being here. Let's have a great episode. What a week in Augusta. What a win for Scotty Scheffler. Um, just, a, you know, first major under the belt. Lots of good vibes for Scotty. So I guess the, the question begs itself is, is Scotty kind of, is he the, one of the big three now? Is he kicking anyone out? What do you think, Ken? Well, I wanted to pose a question like in like a larger context inside of golf, but also like culturally, like is Scotty now someone that people, people are going to know, right? Like if I ask, um, you know, if you ask anyone on the street, everyone's going to name Tiger Woods and probably Phil, right? If you, if we were to ask a person to name two golfers. And I think there's kind of two questions here. Like, is Scotty a superstar in the world of golf, which he's leaning towards? Yes. But is it going to become something that starts to, you know, become more culturally relevant, right? I was thinking about, you know, is Scotty me sitting at the Lakers game? Is he going on Jimmy Kimmel? Is he starting to become relevant in other arenas kind of outside of golf? And I, I just want to pose the question to the guys of like, you know, how high can Scotty really go? And I think this idea of a big three, you know, I was kind of saying Tiger, Phil, maybe Scotty, but I also, there's a lot of other guys out there like Rory and John Rahm and stuff. But I would argue that a lot of people that don't watch golf don't know a lot of these guys outside of that context. So yeah, I think Rory's a good one, right? Cause I think Rory's this global figure, but then like guys like Rahm and Cantlay, Cantlay and Hovland, like these are not guys that are widely known. Yeah. So I think that this rise from Scotty and this incredible like tiger-esque player over the past two months might be getting him some of that worldwide press and like water cooler talk right like even if someone right. is, someone that doesn't is not usually familiar with golf they might be like oh this scotty guy is really rising like, can up you believe we thought we'd never have another tiger and all of a yeah. sudden he's kind of doing it yeah i mean definitely within the golf world i i think he's already on that mount rushmore of of active golfers because this is the hottest wow. stretch Mount seen, like, freshly chiseled. Like, what is that? like current, like your top four golfers that everybody knows. I think he's kind of there with this run that he's on. But like outside of golf, he just doesn't have that. I mean, I, I love the guy to death. I think he's awesome, but he doesn't have that superstar factor. I mean, could he be? He's a three he's years infamous for being a old soul. Like, you know, he goes out and celebrates by playing board games and nothing wrong with that. But that just doesn't lead you to that superstar factor. Like a guy who's going to be sitting courtside at games and going on tonight shows and things like that. But we'll see. I don't know. If he keeps it up, he might be. I mean, I think like like uh, a good barometer for this is like um, barometer barometer one <laughs> is like uh say like first take or something actually talks about golf for like a couple of years ago and brooks was on a run they started talking about like there was a golf segment on sports center and stuff like that so i think like the more scotty um starts to like make newsworthy um performances no i think to your point right two or three years ago i do think that brooks was yeah. like getting on that like, that Mount Rushmore, like people really like he was becoming dominant in majors. He was classically talked about in any golf conversation. I think Scotty might yeah. be on his way to that. But the big difference there is Brooks is someone that wants that attention. Scotty is be cl- very clearly someone that 
is like Dub said, he's that old soul. He wants to stay at home with his wife and his family. Like he's made it very clear that like that's his like priority. Like even like with golf, you know that he's you know he's not really worried that much about the wins as much as he is about his family. This is you know all secondary. So I think the media may try to force that onto him, but I don't think it's going to be something that he's going to really overly embrace. Like you're not going to see him at those Lakers games and such. A guy, I, I think. Know. A guy, I think we're forgetting about. He's definitely not up there in the golf talent right now, but it's Ricky. Ricky's mm-hmm. on all the commercials that you see. Everyone thinks of him as oh that guy that's wearing orange, all that bright orange, got that's the true. flat brim hat. I think, yeah, obviously he's not there with the talent right now, but he's definitely that guy that I think, in my mind, is probably number three that mm. people are on the street are going to know. Yeah, I think maybe Scotty's got to pump the brakes here a little bit on on Scotty boys. I mean, before the season, he hadn't even won a tournament yet, and now we're talking about him being up there with Tiger and Phil as a big three. I think there are a lot of people, a lot of players on tour that have won a lot more than him, and I think we should see this season through. I know he's had a meteoric rise here, but let's see this season through before we start putting him on that pedestal. And I would agree, I would agree, Colin, with that as from like a golf perspective, but I'm trying to view it as like a, I don't know, I'm just kind of thinking as a larger perspective, like I do think it takes something like this to get him known to people that outside of golf. Well, right? too, and like a man of faith, too, I could kind of see him developing a really large following because I think that the game itself has gotten a little bit further away from that when 40, 30, 40 years ago, right, I think that most guys that were famous were traditionally very faithful. So it's interesting. I think that he has a chance here, too. Maybe he's got to do a little something more. Maybe maybe it's his style. Maybe like, you know, Colin always talks about fashion. Maybe it's something he wears or something he does, but I think he's got a good opportunity. But I also wanted to talk about, you know, on the on the Mount Rushmore, what about the Mount Rushmore of caddies? And now, uh, now Scotty's caddies got three masters. Ted Scott, do we think uh, Ted Scott's kind of like getting up in that conversation as like one of the best caddies ever? I mean, I feel like you kind of have to. I mean, just looking at the masters alone, I was doing some research, and there aren't that many people that have you know caddied three, to, you know, two three masters jackets, you know, and the people they have caddied for, which actually kind of ties back into the previous conversation, is people that have been caddying for. Ben Hogan, a Jack Nicholas, and Arnold Palmer, and of course, you know the great Tiger Woods. Ted Scott is one one of the hottest runs, just like Scotty. He's got two with Bubba, now one with Scotty. Not oh, he's probably got a dozen tour wins now, three Masters. Yeah, and, I mean, and I think an interesting stat I saw, I forget exactly, but Ted Scott's somewhere like pretty respectable in the money list. Oh, just yeah. the money he's earned from his cut from Scotty, he's like. I don't know, 40th on the PGA Tour money list, like in comparison to guys out there competing. Oh, he's going to crack a mill this year easy. Yeah, and that's like what kind of like the guys that keep their tour card every year probably are in that one to two million dollar range. Yeah, I, think, funny. I think with the Masters wins, guy, you know, got over 10 million this year in earnings already. And <laughs> and I think traditionally like a caddy would get about like 10 percent unless it's Matt Kuchar paying him. Oh, <laughs> like he's. He should already be over a million dollars. And let's be honest, Scotty is kind of a generous guy. Maybe even give him like 15, 20%. You know? And there's actually a really good documentary that kind of uh, it loops around on, on Golf Channel. It's, it's about loopers. It's about caddies and stuff like that and kind of how they sort of like they originated at Augusta for in a sorts and then kind of started like people would travel with players around the world to play golf and talking about how like it wasn't until probably 30 years ago that you could bring your own caddy to Augusta. So guys that have the most titles as caddies at Augusta used to be loopers at Augusta. It's pretty interesting. Stuff. Yeah, that's I saw that too. Like it was actually interesting. The person, the Willie Pappy Stokes, the guy has like yeah. five. He he won a bunch of uh, help people win a bunch of Masters, but he was being assigned by Augusta National. Yeah. It wasn't people weren't bringing their own caddies, which like is kind of cool. Sherpa. Yeah, exactly. Your He's just carrying them yeah. up Augusta. Tiger could have used some. Yeah, carrying. and I think in general, like caddies are one of those like 
to me, like mysteries, like how much value do they provide to these golfers? And I think you see a prime example here of a perfect marriage with Ted Scott and Scotty Scheffler. I mean, he, he went on the bag, what, at the beginning of the year and just suddenly turns it on. It must be the experience or he just knows how to handle Scotty and put him in the right positions where he's providing a lot of good advice that maybe Scotty wasn't getting before. Yeah, it was pretty wild. You know, uh, Ted had actually you know, retired by all accounts after, you know, separating from Bubba and was really reluctant to actually take up this this role with Scotty and he you know, took him a couple of weeks, you know, praying and all that kind of stuff, signed back into that whole yeah. faith thing where him and his family finally decided to go for it and then clearly that's been working out really well for him, you know, he got another green jacket and traditionally I don't know, I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, caddies at Augusta, you know, after the the player wins the Masters, they always get the flag off the 18th green. But this year, Ted Scott just said, "Fuck it, I'm taking the entire flag." <laughs> he just pulled the whole pin and just walking around Augusta National, like running over to watch the whole Green Jacket ceremony. It was kind of funny. I guess after you win three times, you can take certain liberties <laughs> to just do whatever <laughs> you want around there. that place. <clears throat> nice, Colin. We're going to kick it over to you now. Let's uh, let's chat about uh, some of the outfits this week. Some pretty good, some pretty good stuff. Some some bad stuff too, maybe. Finau, what do you think about that? <laughs> Well, I thought Fina had the best looks of the yeah. weekend, to be honest. I Clearance rack. <laughs> I too think that we don't. I, I don't think brown. that's the consensus around here, but I think it looked oh, fresh. Gosh. What? Oh, all right. Well, let's start Thursday. He had like that kind of bowling shirt looking navy blue with the with the vertical stripes on it. I really like that shirt. And then he absolutely turned it up on Friday and Saturday. Mm -hmm. uh, Saturday in particular with that orange and pink sweater and that pink hat. You guys didn't like that? Nope. I loved it. I love oh, the I colors. That was nice. I liked it. I, I that burnt I, orange is cool too. I liked his effort to dress. I mean, I I love the idea of guys being bold, but it, it for me, I saw this on Twitter. I can't take credit, but it was like the Cleveland Browns during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, where there's like <laughs> it's the Cleveland Browns color with a bunch of pink like splattered all yeah. over it. But I do appreciate what he was going for. I just didn't personally like that combo. I just thought it was nice to see it. a lot of those guys out there were wearing the same color, teal or light blue. But Fina walking out there with the orange and pink really stood out to me. And so uh, I thought he had the best looks of the weekend. I also really like JT's canary yellow pants on Sunday. That would have looked great with a green jacket. He could have made it there, but um. I also wanted to bring up Vic's pink pants Whoa. on Thursday. I Come playing on. in the league that got a that playing in the league those got those older guys had a lot to say about those. I wanted to get your guys' take on those as well. I hate I don't, I hate when the announcers are like oh, looks like he spilled some highlighters on his pants. <laughs> They're like it's just very like I don't know. It's, Meanwhile, Faldo's wearing like a checkered tie yeah. with some hound's tooth shirt or something like that, just looking like yeah, exactly. I, I thought uh, they were great. I love the pink pants with the little white stripe down. I mean, yeah, I think it was man. a bold look. I think he pulls it off anytime he dresses like that. I think it was a really nice mix up of you know your traditional looks out there. Colin, you know who we got to yeah. be on. We got to be on the lookout for is Brandel Chambly. I don't know if you've noticed because I've like been watching some of the pre coverage, especially for the Masters and then for the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Look at his fits, man. He had a dress shirt on the other day with like a, a burnt orange tie. It's funny that the color keeps coming up, but then he had burnt orange buttons on his white shirt. Wasn't bad. I'll give him some props for being some of those old guys on coverage that don't dress that well. He really is. Hey, that's a good point, Ben. We're going to keep an eye on the color commentary guys, not only what the guys are wearing out on the course, what what kind of suits are rocking on the coverage. That'd be great. I think my um, favorite. I also wanted to raise the question here just about Scotty and being the Masters champion. We saw him wearing all Tiger Woods gear, both his shoes, uh, his, his shirts, everything was Tiger Woods. Cam Champ was doing the same thing. What do you guys think about that? Do you think that that's like a power move being respectful of one of the greats or is that a little weak as, as a competitor? I mean, Tiger wasn't a field this week. It's 
that's the guy you're trying to beat and you're wearing his apparel. I don't know. I don't mind. I think it's kind of akin to like wearing Jordan gear, honestly. I think Tiger is so. I know like MJ wasn't playing in the league, I guess, the same time as some of those guys, but I, I, he probably was actually, right? I think Tiger's like reached that status where he's up like his, it's a brand beyond him. And I, I think it's fine, honestly. Yeah. These guys are signed up with Nike. I think Tiger Woods logo is synonymous with tight nike golf so i i guess there's not much way around it but it, it was kind of interesting and scott even wearing some of the same shirts that tiger wore previously in the week i think those shoes kind of remind me of like those new balance dad shoes and i was on instagram and someone had posted it from like a like a fashion golf page where usually they're just posting like the new jordans and the nikes and stuff like that and i was listening i was watching some of the comments some guys are like where do i get these shoes it's like scott he's really trying to bring back like the old school style they just need to throw some grass stains on there just to make it look like <laughs> they just got done mowing get some ankle high socks so yeah. what was the deal with the vest like on Saturday, Scotty takes his vest on and off, struggles yeah. with it a thousand times. Like, was it really keeping him that warm? Was he was he going for something else? He was trying to sell know. the vest. We got we, our buddy Norv's gonna gonna buy it. He's so excited. Uh, yeah, Norv was vest. like, "It's on sale. It's only one hundred eighty seven dollars <laughs> right now." It's like someone told him like keep the core warm. He's like, "All right, I'll get out there with the vest." Uh, yeah, it was They're weird. Flailing his arms weird. around trying to put it on. Colin, what are your thoughts on the vest? Um, I, I like the, the vest look out there on the course. Um, I don't know why he kept taking it off and putting it back on with such trouble. Maybe he was just trying to get that motion down since he knew he was going to have a green jacket at that point. But um, I like the best look out there. I mean, as someone with gangly arms like Scotty, it's, 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 it's tough to get into those things. Whoa, man. I thought you were talking about me there for a second. <laughs> someone had, comment, someone had yeah, tweeted, like, God, I hope Scotty doesn't win this because that jacket ceremony is going to be so awkward. And, and then he messed and it up. And Scotty missed the arm, and Hideki gave him, like, a little con- consolation pat on the back. Can I have one thing, more thing about Tiger? I think um, if he was playing with him, I think he definitely wouldn't have worn his gear, right? If they were paired together, right? Like they probably them, wouldn't. Have. Them wearing all that tiger gear reminds me of like that meme where like when you finish shot off the first tee and it turns into a stinger and it's like Harry Potter. He's like part of a lives. part of him lives within me. <laughs> Another thing with that is I wondered if it was there any sort of panic from Nike to get as much Tiger Woods stuff out there since Tiger wasn't wearing their shoes. Are they trying to kind of milk that cow? Yeah, Yeah. trying to get that logo out there so they didn't forget that, oh, you still are a golfer. I was also explaining the concept of Sunday Red to Evelyn the other day, and like she's like, wait, he monopolized a whole color? and like (laughs) It's literally his color. It's like the most popular color, and it's like, I think, um, like, no, uh, Rom usually wears wet, red on Sunday. Is that what they said? He didn't, didn't like he Patrick wasn't, Reed do it. Patrick got, Reed tried to. And he no, just one got was shit this, on. no one was this Sunday just out of respect. So, I don't know. Tiger's the GOAT. Nice. Well, keep an eye out, everyone. We're going to be starting a BPO fashion Instagram page here shortly. So, lots more to come on that front. Uh, to kind of wrap out this master segment, Josh, I think we got to we got to look at some of these guys that just didn't play that well. Some surprising missed cuts and some crazy scores as the uh, the weather and the conditions at Augusta really started to get out of hand. Yeah, so definitely we talked about, obviously, the winners and, and who was at the top, but we talked so much about how this was such a strong field. We have so many, like, you know, the top 20 were all guys that could conceivably come in here and win this without a problem, and we had a couple missed cuts. I mean, worst of all, we're, we're probably looking at Bryson DeChambeau. I think he 12 over. Missed the cut, obviously, but by his standards, that's 22 over because he called it a par 67. 67. (laughs) So I can relate. I think he's having a tough time coming back from a wrist injury, so I'd just like to lay the groundwork there for some excuses going forward (laughs) when I finally get the cast off. But, yeah, he's definitely not healthy and and really didn't look well. Uh, Brooks Kepka missed the cut six over. A guy who is notorious for only showing up for majors didn't get it done this week. I think his putter let him down big time. Jordan Spieth, he just cannot get over that 12th hole. <laughs> I think he tripled it on Friday. 
which caused him to miss the cut. Also, then, Jordan surprisingly putting really terribly. Like really mediocre. It just didn't him. seem yeah. like he had the speed down. He was just missing five and six footers left and right. It's like he's so focused on that like swing and the swing change that he's kind of like putting aside his putting. I'm, putter, yeah. I'm sure it's the putter's fault though. It couldn't be Jordan's. Yeah, he, he read him exactly. perfectly. He did hit some really good shots too. He he just like missed five footers and then hit like a twenty five footer. I think yeah, part. I think it's uh, it's something to look out for because I think that Jordan is actually hitting the ball very well yeah. right now. So when that putter starts getting back to normal, I think we got the old Jordan on our hands. Does Speed still look at the hole when he's putting inside three feet? I don't know. I, I don't think he's changed it, so I would say probably. But definitely something tough. I wouldn't suggest any of our listeners should try it. <laughs> Only Jordan can do that. Wait, what? He looks at the hole. He doesn't look the at the hole. Yeah, he looks at the hole and not where the ball is. So like he just hopes for the best that he hits it like square. I think when you play golf long enough, you just like some some golf psychologist came to him and told him to do that, and all of a sudden his putting stats went through the roof inside three feet. So he just continues to do it. I've tried it; it doesn't work. Yeah, I think looking at the hole isolates your feel more. You're not worried about your alignment. You're just focused on kind of feeling that speed through. And then a couple guys who did make the cut but didn't make any sort of noise. John Rahm. I mean, he's been the favorite coming into every tournament for the last six nine months, and he just did not get it done. I think he. I think the most value he got this week, he finally got to play with Tiger, might have broke the seal on getting some insider knowledge of Augusta, but <laughs> otherwise just didn't show up. Uh, JT, I, I think he had a couple decent rounds, but everything was in his favor this week for him to capture his first green jacket. I mean, he's been playing well, and he's got bones on the bag. I think we were expecting him to do really well this week and just, you know, I, I guess he did get a top 10, but kind of a backdoor top 10 where he was never relevant and just kind of played well enough. I think definitely on that cusp, we saw him play some really, really good golf. Just kind of like, it just seemed like in the in-between shots where you kind of just needed to keep the boat steady, he was just rocking. Yeah, and it's crazy. Like, he started out 76, played himself out of the tournament on the first day, and then he comes back with a 67 on Friday in really tough conditions. And then in easier conditions on Sunday, shoots even par. And so, you know, it's you kind of wonder where his game's at right now. I mean, it tied for eighth, and he looked pretty dejected on the weekend. Like, he just couldn't get it going. And then uh, this is probably a, a hot take here. A little disappointed in Rory. Yeah, he had the amazing round on Sunday, but it was, in my opinion, pretty meaningless because he was never in the tournament, and he was just going out there with no pressure, playing his typical. When he's just firing at pins, no worries. He plays amazing. No one can beat him, but he did not do well enough leading up to the weekend to put himself in contention. Which is really kind of like a trend for Roy. Like he just, He's great on Sundays. He gets so many like backdoor top tens, but you know Thursday through Saturday, he's just kind of not mediocre, but relative to his talent, he's kind of a little mediocre on those times. I think it's something mentally, too, to look at for next year because I think it's it's a little bit of a Rory kind of peaking the hill. I think that he finally knows that, like, it's there. He just needs to capture it for four rounds. And it was interesting. He said that was the most – I forget exactly the wording, but that's the most fun, alive or fun he's had playing in a major since he was trying to make the cut at the Open three, four years ago when it was on his home turf. So maybe, like you said, he found something and can kind of turn a corner going forward here. And then last, what do we think about Tiger's performance overall? I if mean, you are disappointed in that performance, he you came are here. I, uh, we're talking Tiger standards here, okay? He came here saying he was thought he could win. He shoots seventy eights on the weekend. What do we think? All right, this is a guy who obviously you know could barely walk. He was after two rounds, what he was like tied for fifteenth or something like that. He was relatively in contention when you know plus four over made the cut and going into the final round at what six people were under par so like he definitely did a lot i think he just got tired you know that's a brutal walk it was his first real attempt and you know i'm excited we're gonna see him you know in some other majors it's it's kind of shaping up to look like 
I think a, a good signal for him, you know, a good takeaway, his speed is still there, hitting the ball great off the tee over the weekend. His putter just let him down, which I think is just tournament reps out there. So I think we'll probably see him at most of the majors this year. And, you know, hopefully he can compete and continue making that noise and, and generating the headlines. Yeah, I think uh, – go ahead, Kenny. Uh, today, didn't today it was confirmed that he registered for the next – uh, Register for the sure. Open, and then he said that he wants to play, or the U.S. Open, and then he said he's, he plans to play in the Open Championship, and that, like, how much he loves St. Andrews and stuff, so and that's, that's a flatter walk, so it should be a little more tolerable for Does him. Does he have an automatic bid to all those? Well, it's Tiger, yeah. Not, yeah. not like, inherently, <laughs> but yes, yeah, they'll find a way to make him, but I really think that Tiger's performance was probably pretty on par with what you would have expected. I mean, I think that he probably didn't play his best golf over the weekend. He really struggled on the early on the early holes on the weekend, which I think like we talk about Augusta's really it's the front nine that is tough and the back nine where you can really go low. So, um yeah, not to see him putt well was a little surprising, but um you know, it just it's just him being a little rusty, right? I mean, you think about I think about him and Bryson are kind of like on similar timetables with having not played much and just not practicing much because of their injuries. So, I think lots of good things from Tiger this week. How good did we feel Thursday night? Tiger shoots 71. He's right in the hunt. We're all like, oh, we're going to see a Sunday Tiger charge. I love how the featured groups were just rigged to just have everyone watch Tiger <laughs> the entire time. It was incredible. Yeah, that's exactly how I wanted it. Well, and hopefully that for many more majors to come. So uh, that does it for our master segment. We'll be back in a second to talk about the RBC Heritage coming up this week. All right, so following up a major is always a little difficult. These tournaments, uh, sometimes they don't get the, the best viewership, but uh, we got a pretty good tournament this week at a pretty fun course, an iconic uh, uh, 18th hole with a lighthouse in the background, a really pretty venue. Let's talk a little bit more about the tournament and some notable things about the course this week. Yeah, it's actually one of the, a cooler tournament in my mind. It's one of five invitationals, quote-unquote, on the PGA Tour schedule with the like, like the Arnold Palmer, the Memorial Jacks tournament, the Genesis Tigers tournament. So it actually has the that smaller field. You know, you, not everyone can just go and play this tournament. But surprisingly, even despite, you know, we're coming off that major where you maybe get that, you know, that hangover kind of feeling where people maybe take a break after some emotional drain, we've actually got a, a really respectable field here. We got JT, we got Jordan, we got old Double L Morikow, we got Cam Smith after a, a heartbreaking day at the Masters. You got Cantlay, we got DJ, we got... PGA or a uh, big player favorite Billy Billy among a lot of other you know big names here which is actually pretty exciting yeah I, w I was really shocked when I saw this field and I you know started thinking about it a little bit more I mean Hilton had great vacation spot we're two and a half hours from Augusta I think a lot of these guys are kind of coming off of a major taking those who have families taking their families on a nice little vacation a little getaway play a tournament while they're down there so it's really cool to see. I think this is, a, like you said, a fun tournament, too. One of the more notable ones on the schedule. You know, I think this is the only tournament on the PGA Tour that has an official mascot. So Sir Willie Ennis Whoa. is an 18th century Scot, and he's kind of the, the template for the whole tournament. For whatever reason, there's a ton of Scottish heritage tradition that goes into this tournament. Kind of weird. I don't think that has anything to do with Hilton Head Island, but... Yeah, the uh, the winner gets a tartan jacket, which is you know the the plaid, and they get a trophy of this mascot, Sir Willie Innocent. Nothing like getting the tartan jacket <laughs> instead of a, the green. Yeah, jacket. can we get a picture <laughs> of Willie Innocent on here up here? Yeah, I'll bring it up. What, yeah, let's. let's but the producer, uh, the producers on the back here. It's a it's a really interesting course. I was fortunate enough to stay down at Sea Pines last summer, which is the community that this course is in. But 
I didn't I didn't get to play. I think the price tag was a little too high on such a short notice, but really difficult course to play off the tee, in my opinion. I had a better driving day, put a lot of balls in play, but you're chipping out from under the trees, even if you are in the fairway. So definitely something to watch for this week. These guys have to be accurate and missing the right spots off the tee. But a course that plays hard, but we've seen some really good scores, right? Kenny, you found this 62s and 63s galore kind of at this tournament. There was like there was six 63s on moving day last year, I think. So a lot of guys going low, and a couple 62s, Cam Smith and Fratelli going low. So I was just thinking it's going to be refreshing post-Masters to see some pretty low scores. The way see some birdies, I know. Especially other than, after this past one. Yeah. Where it's just a little other brutal. than Rory, you just didn't see much on Sunday. It's so true. What's interesting is that even with these... These low scores, it's actually in very aggressive weather typically at this course because it's another one of those, you know, oceanside courses similar to like Kiowa. You know, this is a course I think it's PB die or Pete die and the Jack Nicholas like combo course. And it's got those like brutal kind of grounded rolled greens that Pete die has, but then there's just wind like no other. Is this course public? Yeah, you can all play. We can play it. So we're going to go. Somewhere. Yeah, it's one of my bucket list courses. I just think that 18th hole is just so fucking cool. And the 18th hole is really fun, too, because the guys don't hit driver. They normally just hit three wood out there and take their mid iron. But it's uh, right. The, fo- the fairway kind of bulges out into the sound and then uh, gets really bottlenecky up by the green. So if you hit driver, it's an incredibly tight hole. What I kind of like about this course is it seems like a course that our group here would, would definitely be interested in playing. I mean, we, we frequent these East Coast East Coast courses, like in the Carolinas especially. So... Uh, you think about a lot of these courses we play down in Myrtle Beach, they're similar to, to this Harbortown course where it's kind of tree-lined fairways, but also a lot of water and you hit it offline. You're not really sure how far into the wooded area you want to go because you're not sure might, what might be lurking in there. So um, I always enjoy watching this course because I like to think about us out there trying to play it. Well, and a lot of guys that do well here too hit the ball really straight. So they're going to be in the fairway a lot, which means you're going to see a lot of really good shots because when, when the guys are in prime position, they're just sticking it close. Guys like like Cam Smith and and Matt Fitzpatrick, Corey Connors. like These are guys that posted 62 to 64 in the final round last year. Should be a lot of really exciting golf. Yeah, and I think this is one of those courses where guys a little more wild off the tee, i.e. Cam Smith. I think it's short enough. You leave the driver in the bag most of the day and just play for position off the tee. I think we're, we even see par fives guys teeing off with a driving iron Still getting there in two, so pretty fascinating play. I, I want to say, say this is one of the courses when Bryson first came out after his bulk, he tried to play, and it just didn't quite work with that, you know, trying to just overpower the course because of the setup, which was really fun to see after all that hype. He had a top five here a couple years ago. But, yeah, I think yeah. he's done, like, I think he did really well at it like, prior to pre-bulk, and then yeah, post-bulk yeah. where he was just trying to, like, bomb it through everything. Yeah. It just doesn't work with how the course is set up. Great. Well, then, other than all these really great players in the field, we actually have a really cool kind of spotlight player playing this week as well. If anyone's never heard of him, Morgan Hoffman. He was kind of like coined to be like the next guy come out of college in uh, in 2012. He was a you know world number one amateur, played at OK State, and was really good. But we haven't seen him in a while. So uh, what's the what's the lowdown on Morgan Hoffman here, Tully? Yeah. So the Morgan Hoffman story is it's actually really cool, really interesting. So you mentioned he started. He was on tour from like 2013, 2017. But a hugely hyped guy, like you mentioned, number one amateur. But in 2011, he kind of started to notice some issues with his uh, pec, and he didn't really know what the heck it was. He went, you know, doctors, doctors, you know, all through his, while he's playing on the PGA Tour, and then finally it finds out he has like this certain version of muscular dystrophy in one pec, in like just, just one, one yeah, on his right side. So and and I think it's you know to some extent probably it was spread in other areas too, but uh-huh. it was just like mostly focused there, and he was losing his swing speed. He couldn't find out, figure out what the heck it was. Finally, finds out what this is and basically all 
the doctors from all like the Mayo clinics and Johns Hopkins, all the, all those huge names that you would know in medicine. They're all like, yeah, we can't do anything for you. You're, you're just going to keep losing this muscle mass and you know, eventually you're not going to be able to play golf anymore. And he was just like, and to the point where like he, he left the PJ tour. He like, he was going to Nepal. He was going, he has now been living in Costa Rica, trying all sorts of different versions or unique types of medicine, yeah, like holistic stuff. Yeah. yeah he, it was things from as simple as, you know, like fasting meditation, like he removed like <laughs> processed foods from his diet. Then he also did some things that may be a little more extreme that, you know, we would be a little <laughs> intimidated by like, he went for a stretch of like a, I think it was like seventeen days where he only ate grapes. Grapes are good, but I don't know if grapes they're that are delicious. Good. But he just ate grapes. Can you do wine too? Or <laughs> I don't think so. But you drink wine for seven. I was reading uh, Daniel Rappaport did like a really in depth article. Where he actually went down to Costa Rica and he's like interviewing. He's like, yeah, I would just go into Whole Foods every morning and just buy their entire grape section. And he was living in Jupiter at the time, and they were like, oh, there's the grape guy, kind of shit. But then he's also gone even farther and weirder to where he's like rubbing his own urine all over his body and drinking it. Like it's very like odd stuff to say the least. But he's playing again, so it's working. Yeah, he, what he's found, like <laughs> while he's been living in Costa Rica doing all this other stuff, kind of been just literally out in the middle of the jungle in Costa Rica, basically, that he's actually started to re regain some of that muscle. It's just kind of like a wild story. Um, it's pretty wild. Like, literally no one, you know, there is no urine. Well, there's no cure to this thing. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. just none. And, Bear and all the clinical research that goes on, like, they just can't figure out what's going on. And he, uh, all the things that he's done, he's managed to at least make a little progress. I think it's pretty wild. Yeah, so he's going to be playing on, um, is he has a medical exemption, similar to we've kind of seen with other players in the past. That he's had, I think, throughout this whole process going through. He's on the 16th of his 18, and I think they expire maybe at the end of the year or something like that. So we'll probably see him a couple times. Hopefully, he does well enough where he can, you know, continue to play. But it was just kind of a cool story to watch. And during all this time, while he's going through this, he also, you know, co-founded, you know, BPO favorite fashion brand Grayson. You know, so we've got you know players like JT, Harry Higgs, EVR, Sam Ryder, Luke List, a bunch of players, not to mention our very own Ben Martinez. Uh, you know, that he's just attached to and like they know him. He's he was flying Dan Berger to tournaments in like twenty sixteen and stuff that's like cool. that. I didn't know just, that. Yeah, it was all sorts awesome. of Yeah, and has the Morgan Hoffman Foundation that's supported by Grayson and supports things like like mus muscular dystrophy and things that don't have cures. So like a really he's doing a lot of things outside of golf. I think it's crazy that it's only been like four years since we've seen him when I would say most people don't even know who he is anymore. Yeah, it feels it's, like it's been a lifetime, but it's only been four years. Yeah, I think he's, he doesn't have any wins on the tour. I think he has nine or so top tens, but one of those was like a tied for second at the Honda Classic, which we talked about you know a few weeks yeah. back is one of the hardest tournaments you know on the PJ Tour schedule. So like he clearly had all the talent, and then you know going through this, so it'll be interesting to see how he does you know this tournament and a couple more times throughout the year. Yeah, really excited to have him back. And then I wanted to kick it around to you guys to see uh, who else are we watching this week. Let's look at uh, maybe not some picks, but, you know, what, what the course sets up well for, what, what do you got to do well this week. So let's start with you, Colin. Who, who are you looking at this week? Yeah, so when I think about this course, Harvard Town, I think Dub said it best where you really have to think your way around this course. You could be in the fairway, but if you're not in the right part of the fairway, you still might be behind the tree. There's a lot of dog legs, a lot of semi-blind shots, especially in some of these par fives where you really have to hook it around and hope that you get up there on the green and not in the water or the bunker. So for that reason, I'm looking at Russell Henley this week. Uh, I think he's plus 2,900. It's a pretty good odds, but uh, when you think of he leads the PGA Tour this year on st at strokes gained approach. So I like that stat here. He also had success early on at Wileye, which I think might play pretty similar to this course with a lot of the dog legs, not necessarily a course where bombers are going to thrive, but um, those guys who can put it right 
where they want it to be in the fairway and have a good approach to the right spot of the green where they can make some putts. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking closely at Russell Henley here this week. Yeah, I think it's also a course that kind of heavily demands a draw. I know there's a really iconic par five on the back that's a bit of a draw off the tee, and you got some really, really big overhanging trees on the left over top some water on your second shot. Um, but Russell plays a draw really well, and he kind of plays it mid-height, so the wind shouldn't affect him too much. And like you said, just just a great putter. Yeah, another guy that I'm looking at is Matthew Fitzpatrick. He's probably at the top of my list for maybe best player without a win on tour. But all he's been doing lately is just turning in top 10s, top 20s. He is so close to breaking through with that first victory. I think this course plays really well for him. Distance is generally his kind of weak weakness, but he drives the ball so well accurately, puts himself in the right positions, and not to mention he's got that crazy cross-handed pitching grip, which is so wild I can't even fathom how he does this. But, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see him continue playing well and maybe break through for his first victory. So we talk about the distance on this course. I was looking it up. I think it's only, it's not even playing 7,100 yards this week. And last week at Augusta, we saw it play over 7,500. So you're thinking 20, 30 yards shorter on most holes. That's, I mean, that's the distance that Fitzpatrick is losing to these guys that are hitting oh, yeah. the ball far. So if he's just hitting a straight driver, he's just right up there with those guys three woods because they're going to have to play back a little bit. Nice. Tully, who are you picking this week, or what uh, What are you liking out of someone's game? I'm just really looking to see the, kind of the return of Dan Berger. He's kind of had that up and up and down year so far. He's had, He started with some big, you know, a fourth place at the Honda, tied for 13th at the Players, and then it's kind of followed up with a tied for 35th at the Match Play, and then tied 50th at the Masters. So this is kind of a course he's played well in the past, T3 last year, and then T13 the previous year. So I just kind of look for him to kind of get right here. He's, I think he's still one of those top golfers. He kind of does everything real solid. So I'm just kind of keeping an eye out here. And, you know, he's still number one in sand saves after all this time <laughs> and all those struggles. After all this time. Dude, so, I, think, I think it was him arguing that uh, out of bounds, that ball that really just did him in. Uh, yeah, he's going he's gonna to get right there. That's yeah, him that's and Vic. Ever since his running with Vic. He's not in the field. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Is Vic playing this week? Because maybe no, Daniel Vic, Vic's not in the look field. over his shoulder. <laughs> Well, and I think the thing I like about Berger's game, too, is I think he yeah he keeps it a little low. He kind of plots his way around a golf course. I think this play sets up perfectly for him, and you're going to see, like we talked about, because it's so short, lots of wedges and lots of scoreable opportunities. Lots so sand. Berger's, yeah. yeah I don't you think there is water? much sand here, but there's a lot of water. <laughs> but water? if he doesn't get in the sand, I'm pretty sure he's got well, no problem there. All right, never mind. I just assumed there's a lot of sand by the water. Tyler and I were disagreeing on Cantlay over here, if we want to talk about that. I was looking at Cantlay just because this course, uh, I don't know, he had three top threes and a top seven. I mean, the guy was making his bones here a couple of years ago, really killing it. Uh, he's been struggling lately, got cut the players and is not doing well at the masters, but I don't know. I've been kind of looking for some contrarian bounce back picks lately. And I don't know. Seems like he has success here. But you're saying you're zigging when other people are zagging. I'm zigging, people are zagging, but Tyler's going to zag. I'm zigging. I think you're, you're looking at it the complete opposite as I am. It's like, I just see Cantley just <laughs> continuing down. his downfall. Yeah. You're looking for a bounce back, but I just see this guy who was an absolute stud last year. And coming into this tournament, they've got him ranked 12th in the field behind guys like Corey Connors and Daniel Flippenbergers, who's out here fighting guys. World-class players he's behind. And Matt Fitzpatrick. World-class players What have these guys done? Cantlay won the FedEx just Cup. About Matt Fitzpatrick over there. But what has he done for you lately? Cantlay won the FedEx Cup, and now he's behind these guys right away. It's like he, his game is falling off. I just I just don't know if he's going to bounce back like you think he is this week. I know. That's not the right strategy this year because this year it's just Scotty winning over yeah, and over again. Scotty and right Cam right Smith winning over it's and over a, again. It's such an interesting contrast. If we go back to the, the waste management Phoenix Open, Scotty beats Cantlay in a playoff, yeah, which second. kicks off Scotty's absolutely meteoric rise, and now we see Cantlay. He just 
He hasn't found it. He's, is it called a meteoric fall or missing. is it a different word? I don't meteoric know. Meteoric fall. Yeah, what, yeah. What, what is that called? Well, I, I think to Ken's point, Ken's point about like, I think that Patrick Cantley kind of had a decent start to the year, right? I think that that loss to Scotty in the playoff was a bit of a hard pill to swallow. But we've also seen some some incredibly wild course conditions too. So I think it's a small sample size to say that Cantley just doesn't doesn't have it anymore. We yeah. saw crazy weather at the players, crazy weather yeah. at Augusta. Would you ever have thought from the end of last year to a tournament now that Corey Connors would be ranked higher than Cantley coming into a tournament? Oh, I don't. The answer is no. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I think the correct answer is no. I think the the answer to this whole conundrum might be that Cantlay's just not that good of a wind player. And even though this course is set on the sound and things like that, it does play kind of like one nine kind of plays internal into the trees, and then kind of like there are a few holes that are more exposed, but not a crazy windy course. And it looks like our weather is going to be pretty good. So I, I think that Cantlay just yeah he might have might have a chance here to get into his old form. One more point here, Ben. I think I remember the twenty twenty uh, tournament Joaquin like really played well like I, I think specifically you were sending us a ton of texts like this is Joaquin he's the man like he's going to be the best player like I feel like was this one of the first tournaments that he really killed it at or I mean I, I think well he won the Greenbrier in like 2020 or 2019 I think yeah so this was the yeah. start of his like his yeah. real his PGA Tour career yeah um, but another guy that you know drives the ball pretty well but is just a really good iron player and and I think that's what this course kind of it breeds its winners. I think, Tully, you made a really good point here because it's someone I think that we know because we watch a lot of golf and YouTube and stuff. But a guy, Wesley Bryan, who we posted about weeks ago about kind of barely keeping his tour card. Unfortunately, the, that uh, his success story is is that he's he, he didn't play as well over the past few weeks. So he lost his tour card, but he still has plenty of exemptions. But uh, he's in the field this week. This is the place he dominates at. He's a Gamecock, South Carolina kid. And uh, really like to see him. You got him, what, for top 20 here, plus 950. That is a pretty solid bet. Yeah, he, he won here, I think it was 2017. And I think he's definitely got that little bit of chip on his shoulder now. He had broken his wrist and stuff. but So he kind of struggled getting back, you know, dub, wrist surgery, you know, <laughs> Bryson. It happens to all, all the best golfers we know, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's just kind of another fun story to watch. I obviously like the underdogs, so we're looking out for that. I don't really think his game is trending in that bad of a direction, but Not I think that he's probably one of those guys that's falling into that pot of isn't hitting the ball as far anymore, and we've seen distance dominate the game. But this is a course where it seems like the field really has a better chance, and there's plenty of opportunities like this kind of scattered throughout the, the schedule. So I like seeing guys like, like Berger and Brian kind of play very similar games, not super long off the tee, but get a lot of things done. I got one more guy I want to look at just real quick. Um, I'm really interested to see how Cam Smith bounces back kind of after falling apart in round four. He seems to me like the type of guy that could come out here just pissed off and just say, I want to show everybody how good I truly am. And we were talking about all the 63s we saw the other year. Are we going to see Cam just come in and go stupid low and drop like a 60 on the field and just say, this is what I should have been doing. I fell apart against Scotty, but I'm here. The picture of him getting that. the tartan jacket with his mullet blowing in the wind just gives me like Braveheart kind of vibes. It <laughs> sure does. Feels right. Well, this is also that tournament where they don't they they the cannon off the first tee. Yeah, the ceremonial <laughs> cannon. Love that. that goes off. Well, I think if Cam too plays a little smart off the tee, doesn't take driver everywhere, which we know, he knows. We know he's not a great driver of the golf ball. We know he's like the most deadly iron player in the world right now. I know he's Colin Morikawa and JT are kind of our classic iron players, but right now. uh, Cam Smith's picking up like four or five shots in the field every every freaking round with his iron. So really a guy to look out for. All right, that does it for us. A good week looking forward to the RBC uh, Heritage down in Hilton Head, North or South Carolina. Uh, if you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram and follow us at Big Players Only Pod. Thanks for being here today. See ya.